The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 14th chapter. Now large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first, and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000. If he cannot, then while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all of your possessions. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Some time ago, one of the frequent posters on the ELCA clergy Facebook page, it's not a place you ever want to look at, let me tell you, posted that he started his class for Stephen ministers, lay people who are trained to provide pastoral care by asking them about their current spiritual disciplines. And more than half of the group mentioned an iPhone app, the Jesus Calling app which is based on a book, Jesus Calling, by Sarah Young. The app sends a daily scripture reading to your phone, a message of reassurance, comfort, and hope. There are lots of these apps, by the way. Just if you're looking for something like that, they're out there. Anyway, it took only a few minutes for 20 pastors to comment on the post, and at least half of them wrote that any app that sends only Jesus' words of reassurance, hope, and comfort is not faithful to the Jesus of the New Testament. It says something, though, about the time in which we are living, which Pastor Keith a few weeks ago characterized as apocalyptic, that reassurance, comfort, and hope are so important. In today's gospel, Jesus draws our attention to the cost of following him instead of to the benefits. In today's gospel, we read that large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. He wants people to follow him, understanding that it will cost them something, everything. So why would anyone want to follow him? Well, because a meaningful life and eternal life are the result of following him and are found nowhere else. This is countercultural for us. We're taught to focus on the benefits of what we do and decide not the cost. But Jesus pushes consideration of the cost 
For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether or not he has enough to complete it? Or what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If he cannot, then while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all of your possessions. With that last line, Jesus makes the point about cost instead of benefit if he hadn't already. This is one of those gospels where you finish the reading of the gospel and then you say the gospel of the Lord and probably you should say it with a question mark at the end because it doesn't come across as good news to us. Most of us wonder if maybe we should just pack up and go home at this point and forget about following him. Give up all of our possessions? Well, in Luke's gospel, possessions are a spiritual concern. Jesus never condemns having them, but he's concerned that nothing take the place of God in our lives. For example, he told the rich young ruler, go and sell what you have and give to the poor because this young man was trusting in himself, in what he had and what he could do to be saved. His first loyalty was misplaced, and Jesus was trying to shake it loose. So give up in today's gospel doesn't mean give away, but let go of, renounce as important. It's like the meaning of the word hate earlier in today's gospel. In the culture of Jesus' time, emotions were exaggerated. There was no liking or disliking. There was only loving or hating. So anything that could get in the way of or take the place of following Jesus is to be given up, to be let go of, so that we can serve our first loyalty to Christ and follow him on the way to death and resurrection. In a culture like ours that's fixated on safety rather than risk, this doesn't sound very attractive. Most of Jesus' teachings involve paradox, and his teaching here about possessions is no exception. The paradox is that giving up or letting go of what gets in the way of following him and carrying the cross can lead to receiving it back again, but with a different attitude toward it, so that it can become an avenue for following. It's the attitude that matters. Anything that we rely on, that we cling to, trust, or hope in, can lead us away from Jesus. But on the other hand, when our first loyalty is to him, then our family, our possessions, our education, skill, or intelligence can be means for serving God and following him. So the answer to the question of the cost of following Jesus is everything. Following him means the surrender of our whole lives, but then we can receive back from Christ those aspects of our life that are needed to live as a disciple in our culture and context. This is what Paul urged on Philemon in today's second lesson. Onesimus had been his slave but had run away. And Paul is sending Onesimus back to Philemon, 
but tells him to treat him like a brother in Christ and not as a slave. Only by letting go of Onesimus as a slave could Philemon have him back again. There's been a lot of letting go required of us in the past couple years. There's lots that we couldn't do starting in March of 2020 because of the pandemic. We couldn't gather for worship in person. We couldn't go to work or to school. We couldn't be around other people. We couldn't baptize, marry, bury. We couldn't have graduation ceremonies. All these events and activities that were on hold. And then once they resumed, they had to be different to keep everyone safe. And on, that, on top of that, in this community a year ago, we had an additional trauma of a tornado that destroyed property and upended people's lives. Many of those lives aren't put back together yet. Both of these produced real, but also ambiguous loss. The destruction of property and life is real. But what about the loss of the rituals and the events that mark our lives and give meaning to them? This is much more ambiguous. It's not so clear what we lost, and it's not clear how to mark that loss or integrate it into our lives. The traumas of the pandemic and the tornado fractured the narrative on which most Americans base our lives, that we are self-sufficient and can take care of ourselves and our families, and everyone else can do or should be able to do the same. Of course, this isn't true, and it's never been true. We're all dependent on our communities of congregations, families, neighbors, friends, and the pandemic and the tornado laid this bare, this dependence. But this was not and is not welcome news to most of us. And the frustration and confusion that people have felt over the loss of the basis of their lives, where they find meaning, have come out in often destructive ways. The increase in traffic fatalities and overdoses and shootings, the national decline in life expectancy, road rage, increased substance abuse and family problems, fear about, of being around other people, all these things can be traced to the pandemic, and then in a community like this that's experienced an additional trauma, it's even, even more of a problem. But we who are baptized into Jesus' death and resurrection have a different story. It's not the story of self-sufficiency and that I can take care of myself. It's not a story of getting and having, of being in control. Instead, it's a story of death and resurrection, of dying and rising with Christ, of giving up and of letting go of what gets in the way of following Jesus and carrying the cross. This story becomes ours in baptism, where we die with Jesus so that we can rise with him. It's renewed in hearing the word of God and receiving Christ's presence in the bread and cup each week. Our faith in God is embodied in Jesus. It's embodied in the water of baptism. It's embodied in the bread and cup of Holy Communion. And it's embodied in this community of faith that gathers to worship Jesus, to celebrate his death and resurrection. It's embodied in us 
for each other. We experienced that in the tornado response, and perhaps more subtly as we worked together in the early stages of the pandemic to try to figure out how to worship if it had to be online and how to do the things that were possible and figure out which things we could do and what we couldn't do that had to wait. Symbolically, at least, we have died together with Christ and we're rising together with him. It costs everything to follow Jesus, everything. But then, when we look to him and the community that follows him for meaning in life, we can use what we have as a tool for following Jesus on the road to death and resurrection, to hope and to new life. That is how we find that reassurance, reassurance, comfort, and hope that are so important in this time. Amen.